Good morning, church. We're in Haggai chapter one. If you don't know where that is, that's the, to the right after Zephaniah and just before Zechariah. And if you don't know where that is, go three books to the left from Matthew, and hopefully uh, you'll find it. Um, while you turn to Haggai, I wanted to share with you this morning um, why I chose this book, and I think it, in a lot of ways, chose me. Um, in my devotional time a couple months ago, um, the Lord just spoke to me through it. You know, we reach a point in our lives where um, every once in a while we need to reflect on our own lives and, and to search our hearts and consider our ways. Uh, and that's what the whole book of Haggai is really about. And um, God just started speaking to me, and um, I started reconsidering, you know, th- things I want to do with the rest of my life, you know. And God had used this church here to restore me in a lot of ways and to show the love of Christ. And I debated um, going back into well, corporate working and um, starting a business and, and just trying to figure a few things out. And in, and in that searching and in that time, um, God used the book of Haggai, and it's part of the reason why I stand up here today. It's just because um, I love this church, and I love what God's doing, and I want to be a part of it. And so um, I pray that this morning this book would minister to you as much as it's ministered to me. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh, your people here, Lord that they would separate themselves from the world and just to want to hear from you today. And we seek you first, Lord. You above all things, Lord. We call you Lord of Lords and King of Kings here today. And uh, pray that you would speak to us, that you would um, speak through me today, Lord, that you would allow me to stray from my notes, Lord, that you would give me the strength to do so, um, if that's what you call me to do, Lord. Would you uh, speak through me, Lord? Would you speak to your people, Lord? Would you direct us in everything today? Lord, we, uh, we welcome you here. We want... I pray that I would decrease and you would increase, Lord, that the people would see you. So, Lord, um, come before us, Lord. Uh, speak to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'll just to give you a little background on uh, the book of Haggai, um, this is right after the Jews have come out of the 70 years of uh, Babylon captivity. They'd come back into Jerusalem, um, the remnant people, um, approximately 50,000 people. Um, they are, essentially, these are the faithful people those that would come back and have to rebuild Jerusalem. And they, um, you know, they had hard times. They were struggling. And, and in those times, they started to focus on themselves, focus on their own houses, their own households. Um, they, they weren't about building the temple. They weren't about God's kingdom. And um, so today, this is where um, the Jews find themselves in Haggai. They're um, not focused on the kingdom. They're not focused on God, but they're on their own circumstances and their own houses. And I think a lot of us can relate to that as we consider our own ways that um, we, it's easy for us as times get tough as Christians to start focusing on our own lives and to forsake um, what God would call us to do. And so let's, um, let's pick up in Haggai in verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. When the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? 
because my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, and on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. God is withholding his blessings um, from the people here in Haggai. And um, it's because of their disobedience. And, um, you know, he's asking us to consider our ways. And uh, for you and I to consider our ways here this morning. And what we see in this is they have misguided priorities. They've put themselves above what God has called them to do. And so in this lack of priorities, they become disobedient. They fail to put God first in basically everything. Um, I have no hidden agenda with you guys today here. I just want us to be reminded today uh, to have a kingdom mindset so we as Reliance Church uh, may advance God's kingdom and for his glory and not our own empire. So, you know, this book of Haggai, to me, I look at it and it's like an alarm clock for, for the people. You know, he's trying, this prophet is trying to wake up the people and get them to start paying attention. And that is why, you know, twice he says, consider your ways. You know, we have to look at our ways sometimes. We have to have someone, sometimes we need someone from the outside to really point them out to us. And so, um, and we need outside elements. And, and, a lot, and a lot of times those outside elements are the trials that we're going through and God withholding his blessings from us, trying to wake us up, making us realize and stripping us down to the core of what's important in our lives. And for me, um, my wake-up call came, um, well, seven years ago now almost, I think, on November 7th. And I remember the day, I remember, I remember everything in detail. And um, I started off that day, like a lot of days, um, getting ready to leave for a business trip. And I, um, I'll try not to cry this service, but as I, uh, I, was, as I left um, that morning, I went downstairs and um, Autumn's grandma lived with us. We took care of her until, until her death. And um, you know, her room was downstairs. She was blind um, and hard of hearing. And so often I would uh, read the Bible to her and, um, and pray with her. And we would do it at all crazy hours. I worked crazy hours, and um, I don't know, I could find her just by any hour awake in, the, in her room um, listening to her uh, Christian radio station. So I went in there um, 3 a.m. and um, went to go talk to her, and I realized she was praying, so I just listened. And so I listened to a 95-year-old lady pray and to call out to the Lord and ask to go home. And um, See, I knew that day that God would take her home, probably. Um, I just had this feeling, and um, so as I sat there, I just listened to her pray. And I didn't want to interrupt her, and I, I listened, and then I left. I jumped on an airplane and flew to Michigan for a business trip, and um, I went and I um, was preparing for an uh, important meeting I'd been working on for a few years, and um, it was for a store chain, and I had the presentation all done. I knew I was going to close the deal, and so... God, um, God had different plans though that day. And so I, I stood there in the storefront waiting for them to call me back and I just walk in the shelves putting together last minute notes and um, my phone in one hand and um, a bottle, product. And I, I was all excited, you know, you have all this worldly joys at times. And I, I remember looking at this bottle going, oh, I got it all figured out. The price points are all wrong. I could tell you the UPC number on that bottle right now. I mean, that's just how... <laughs> That's just how clear everything is to this point. And, um, and God, um, that's right, when Autumn called me, and I see it on my phone, and I knew. And Autumn called me, and she said, my grandma's dead. I'm holding her in my arms right now. 
And so she died in Autumn's arms. And, um, you know, there are times in your life when seasons of your life where, you know, you think are a waste of time. But there are a few days I have that I regret, and that's one of them. I would do anything to be home with my wife at that moment. To put God's, you know, God has, one, you know, one of the biggest priorities for God is us. That we'd have a love for one another. And so, for me, my priorities were all jacked up. And so, um, so I left that meeting right then. Literally, as I hang up with Autumn, they're calling me back to, the, to go into the meeting, and I said, I'm not going. And I jumped in my car, got back to the airport, got on the plane, and one of the last things I did was call Autumn from the air, on the airplane while the students yelled at me. And, um, and so I, um, I talked to Autumn, and she says, don't worry. Pastor Ted's here and Brenda. And while I was comforted by that and by their love, it doesn't... It doesn't it, doesn't equate to what I, that I should have been there. And so I believe God is calling a lot of us to things and he wants to wake us up to what we call priorities. And um, on that same day, um, as Ted and Brenda were there for Autumn 9, they restored to us what the love of Christ was like. Because six months before that, I don't think Ted and Brenda would have been there. You know, I just don't know. You know, we were in a different spot I was focused on my career. We were halfway serving in the church that we were involved in at the time. Um, you know, we just weren't fully committed. You know, just by circumstances more than anything. And But I tell you today that that day that God used that and he started knitting people's hearts together. For Ted and Brenda, you woke them up to the fact that they are still in ministry in Temecula. You know, for, for Autumn and I, it meant some serious changes. And, uh, and that same day, they, Ted and Brenda, they rushed from ministering to Autumn to one of the places they went to which was a hospital for Kylo and Andrea, members of our church. As they brought a child into this world, and shortly after, that child went home to be with the Lord. It was very quick, unexpected. And I believe God knitted our hearts together then. And um, I believe... That is what God wants to do here today. He wants to, us to consider our ways and to consider how we treat one another, how we offer a love for one another, and that we are a unified body of Christ. And, um, you know, I was reminded of this last night as I was preparing and changing notes on my, um, for today, and I got a text from Kylo, and forever, forever, I believe, we'll be knit together in that sense. Because that night, when everything was going on with Autumn and I, we still, we prayed that night for Kylo and Andrea. We sat there crying together in bed, praying for them. And um, when you think you have bad trials, you know, something. I mean, I can imagine what they were going through. Um, and God, God in his infinite wisdom is able to work things out for good in those times. And so this is where we pick up in Haggai. My, my, my regrets were just a false priority. And Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The world has taught us that acquiring wealth is going to solve our problems. You will never have enough. If riches increases, do not set your heart on them. That's Psalm 62, 10 tells us. I love Romans 12 too. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. We need to renew our minds here this morning. We need to stop believing the lie that 
if we obtain X, Y, Z, if we get to a certain spot in our careers, if we just can get, if we can just obtain more, but it's then that we'll serve God's kingdom. It's then that we'll have an eternal perspective. If you don't have it now, you're not going to have it later. The time is now. Let's look at verse uh, one in Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai. This is a divine rebuke. God is using Haggai, the prophet, to speak to his people. He has sent them, he's made it clear, and he doesn't hold back anything. Um, you know, verse 2 says this. It says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this, this people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. What, what, we, what we're reading here is an excuse. You know, disobedience breeds excuses. I mean, just ask your kids, right? <laughs> I mean, my, my kids have come, they come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. My son Liam, he's always in trouble. And his, his favorite excuse is, it's just funny, Dad. I can, and I always tell him, you know, it's not as funny when I'm spanking your butt. But, you know, but it's, it's you know, we will come up with excuses. And in the church today, we want to spiritualize everything. We want to throw Christianese to it. And, it's, and these are God's people that we're talking that are being talked about here in Haggai. These are the faithful, the ones that actually returned. And when things got tough, then they started focusing. So th- these are God's people. And, you know, and what they're offering up is nothing more than an excuse. They're just trying to placate um, Haggai here. And they say, hey, we're going to do it, just not now. And um, think about the excuses that you hear. Think about the excuses that you've said. I can think of some of my excuses, and I can think of the most common ones that I hear. And uh, in the church today, this, you know, it's just bad timing. There's one, right? We just heard it. I don't want to get ahead of the Lord. Hey, I don't want to push any doors open that God, God wants closed. So I'm not even going to go near the door. Um, just, I'm just waiting on him. You know, I'm just waiting on him. Um, I need to focus on my family now. You know they're my first ministry. The kids need me at this point in their lives. I don't want them caught up in drugs. I'm going to put them in every sports program I can on the weekends. If that means missing church, then so be it. The sports will keep them. You know, on that matter, you know, that's why I'm going to sit around and watch sports, you know, with my kids instead of playing with them. You know, I'll serve in children's ministry when my kids are older. I don't have to worry about getting my kids ready. I don't feel called. Someone else will do it. Right now, I need to focus on my career. Hear this one a lot. You would know it. You know it would be horrible if I didn't provide for my family. I'd be like a non-believer denying the faith. I don't want my family to see me that way. You know, you don't need to worry about that. You know, you don't. You, they don't see you. That's the whole point. You're not around for them to see you. You can't build on them if you're not there. If you're not there, you're not building. You know, the famous one, I need to pray about it, right? I'll, I'll pray about it. Did you pray about watching TV? <laughs> no, you don't pray about watching TV. Just do it. And so the, these were the followers and believers. These are the excuses. And I think they, they fit for a lot of us as we think about it. You know, what are your excuses today? What has God called you to do? You know, and you're not doing it. You know, as soon as I said serve, some of you got nervous. <laughs> And you instantly thought of everything else you'd rather be doing. And uh, I'm not asking you to serve today, guys. That's not what this message is about. We're, we're reading about a kingdom mindset and, uh, you know, and for the eternal perspective. And 
We're not talking about a church mindset. A church mindset focuses on serving the church body and tends to be more inwardly focused and inside these sanctuary walls. Um, a kingdom mindset is, has a more larger eternal perspective of serving, caring for and exhorting God's people from the viewpoint of God the creator that he loved us so much that he gave his only son. And ultimately we're talking about salvation and developing an intimate relationship. Um, the one that, you know, breathed life to him to us. Putting him first above everything else. One has the ability to leave you completely exhausted and the other, you know, completely satisfied. There's nothing wrong with a church mindset. The church is, you know, a major component of, of the kingdom. Um, like the Jews and the local church we read about here in Haggai, they go wrong when it serves and glorifies itself more than God. And we have to be careful not to do that here in this church. We need to glorify God. You want some examples of a kingdom mindset here at Reliance? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the pastor Ted and Darius right now. You know, a kingdom mindset doesn't hang on to your best. It sends them out. It lets go. It gives away. And it'd be easy for us to keep our senior pastor here, our children's ministry pastor, to not to want to have them go out outside these walls. But God is using them in a mighty way. If you just listen to the testimonies, and I can't wait to hear Pastor Ted when he gets back. What about um, what's going on in Panama? You know, our mops reaching out to the community, our mops group reaching out to moms that may not ever step inside our church, but the women of our church are pouring into their lives. Lives are being changed. There's so much more going on outside these walls. What about the fact that we're pretty soon Pastor Cody is going to be going off to Colorado to start a, start a Bible study, hopefully a church. You know, I guess I've spent time with Cody and Micah Thanksgiving at my house that come over every year. I'm telling you, it was hard not to want to say, we need you here, stay. But the kingdom mindset says, Colorado needs you. Colorado has no idea what a fire redhead's coming for them. <laughs> I mean, Cody's going to be like a punch the face to Colorado. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to hear the stories of what God's gonna, how God's going to use them there. Ephesians 4.12 tells us that we're going to quit the saints for the ministry, and I believe that most of that ministry takes place outside these walls, that you and I are to be built up and sent out and into this community and elsewhere. Let's look at verses um, 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins. He's asking them a question here. He's already, he already has the answer. Anytime someone asks you a question, they already have the answer. They're setting you up. It's, it's sarcasm. They had time and money for their own houses and comfort, but not the Lord's. The temple was in ruins, and they were living in luxury. Um, these paneled houses, it's not clear exactly what they were, but um, it describes the, the woods in Ezra. And, it, and in First Kings, it describes the, um, the temple. And, and most likely what they did was they took the woods and the provisions that were meant for the temple, and they built their houses with them. And so, um, talking about robbing God of his glory. King Cyrus had, you know, provided them with all the provisions they needed, and that, that those were the things that they probably used. And the problem wasn't so much their houses, it's that they had the wrong priority. They had put their own houses before. King Solomon, you know, he built the temple first, and then his own house. But now things were backwards. The bottom line is they were disobedient, and they knew the decree had been given to rebuild the temple, and they ignored it. Disobedience happens when we, we put our own desires, thoughts, and needs above our superiors. 
we are all subject to God, and we need to remember that we sit under his authority. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're called to seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. And that's where we go wrong, most of us, is that we, you know, in the tough times and the, as struggles come our way, it's so much easier to, to want to forget about everybody else and to start taking care of ourselves. Every, every foreman um, knows what your job is like, and Haggai acts like that. He's like a foreman on the construction on the construction site, and he goes in and he, he you know, he, he's evaluating the conditions of everything, and he points them out to them. And you look at verse six; it says, "You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages and put into a bag with holes." You know, there's, um, you know, we need people in our lives that are going to call us out and make us aware of our condition because we, we often don't see it, especially when we're so inwardly focused. All we can see is what's in front of us. And, and we don't realize that a lot of times God's withholding those blessings so that we'll pay attention, that we'll forget about all these obstacles that we put in, our, in the way and start to, to look at him and, to, and look at his uh, righteousness and his glory and to point people to that. And uh, you need those people in your lives. And for one of those people in my life was uh, Pastor Darius when this church was first starting. Um, when this church was first starting, we, uh, rented, a, we rented another church. Um, and so I was serving in children's ministry with Autumn. Uh, Pastor Darius was up there serving. And I remember one day going down, walking down the hallway. And again, I could tell you where I was standing. That's how much impact it had on me. And I turned around and I see Darius staring at me and... When I first, I didn't know Darius very well at the time. And when he first introduced himself to me, he called himself the smiley Asian guy. And um, he, he is. And, um, and so this, this smiley Asian guy is looking at me kind of puzzled. He's trying to figure me out. And he says this to me. He says, your shoulders aren't big enough. Your shoulders are not big enough. And I think that's the message for a lot of us today is that we can't carry all that we've taken on for ourselves. The weight is too much without the Lord. And so, um, you know, quite honestly, it was hard to hear. I've been on the other side of, of uh, calling people out, but it sucks to be called out. And all I could think at the time was I'd like to knock the lips right off Darius. And, you know, but it's, it's, but you know what? It woke me up. It really got me thinking. And as I was debating what to do with um, my, my job and to resign, um, that was a big factor. And when it came down to praying and praying through that, Darius was one of those people I, call, I called, and um, and so that's you know he's very instrumental in why I left my job and part of the reason why I got to this spot here today. How do we consider our ways? We have to consider our ways. I, you know, the biggest thing that we say all the time as Christians is, "I don't have time. I've got too much on my plate. I can't make a bigger plate. This is all I have." And um, you know, to really evaluate our priorities, we have to ask ourselves questions. And we have to look at ourselves. And sometimes we need those people, other people to ask those questions, but we need, to, we need to ask those questions. Ask yourself where you spend the majority of your time, your money, and your thoughts. Is God anywhere in that equation? What dominates your thoughts? Are you constantly thinking about work? Are you thinking about your family? Are you thinking about the things that God holds in high in value, your kids, your wife, your spouse? Are they on the forefront of your mind? The people that God loves? Do you really believe the lie that you just need more time and wealth? You don't need more time. You just need to set your priorities straight. And if allowed, you will 
you fill every ounce of time with something else that has little value and because hinder hinder your forward growth. I'm a firm believer that if you're not growing, you're dying. And we are we ourselves are the ones that are constantly putting things in the way that hinder that growth. Some of you are flying through life right now on autopilot. You're not considering anything. You're just going through the motions of life and you're taking on more baggage and more passengers than you can handle. The problem is your plane is overweight and you're on the verge of crashing and the Lord wants to be captain of your life. But you're not listening to him. You're not, you're not listening at all. In fact, you're trying to grab the controls. You're trying to take over. And God today is telling you to relinquish the controls, to give it over to him and let him, let him have full control of your life. You've taken on so much in weight that you're hanging on to these things. And, and God wants to take those weights and, and let them loose so you can, he can guide you home. Your choice and weights are, you were never meant to carry them. Um, you know, his way is a lot easier, and you're hanging on to these, these parachutes of life, and God's saying, you don't need to. But if you hang on to them, if you don't consider your ways, it's inevitable, you will crash. My favorite verse of all in, in the scriptures is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It was instrumental for me um, to accept the Lord. And um, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. For me as a young Christian, um, to turn everything over to God and to not lean on my understanding was hard to do. I had, um, I wanted to be, well, I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to have everything. I wanted to provide for my family in a consistent basis that they didn't have to worry. And so, I mean, I had dreams of retiring young. I poured everything I could into the business I was involved in. Um, Everything. At, at great cost. Look at verse 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Why does he want the temple built? That he may take pleasure in it and be glorified. When we fail to keep God in his rightful place, we rob him of his glory. You see, God wants, wants the glory. He wants the people to see the glory through his restored people and his kingdom. Isaiah 43, 5 through 7 says this, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Psalm 19, 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Heavens and the sky is going to declare his glory. Can we not the people love on his people, declare him the glory? See, a great many preachers will stand in pulpits and they'll talk about the great chasm of, of sin that separates the non-believer and the Lord. And that we bridge those with the cross. And that's how we lead people to Christ. We take them down Romans Road. We, you know, we use this analogy and we paint it out for people and we tell them that you know, we can use the cross to bridge that. And I'm not knocking that. But I'm telling you today that we're talking to a different group of people. I believe many of us already acknowledge that God is Lord and is King. And um, that bridge has already been gapped. The problem with us is that we're putting other things and other obstacles on, on the bridge that, that basically we put our trust in and we're not willing to let them go. And those become our bridges and they, bridge, they, they wind up bridging us to our own empire. And these paper bridges, they cannot withstand all the weight and the pressures of the world that we, we add to it, that we add to it. And I think of what's going on in the Philippines right now, that these people are stripped of everything. 
there's a harvest over there that's ripe and Pastor Ted's over there leading people to the Lord, left and right. People surrendering. There wasn't even a church and 300 people showed up. That's a church. It's more than probably here this morning. But um, you know, God, God is amazing. These people are hungry because you know why? Because they have nothing else. We fill in those voids with things that we find our comfort in the reason. Something has to give. And the question is whether or not it's us. Are we, are we willing to give? Are we going to give, give it all? A true kingdom mindset um, has proper stewardship. We must recognize that everything comes from God. The test is to look at what you hold on to so tightly. That is where your trust is. You know, it's, there's no greater definition of stewardship. Of, is that, are you willing to give something away? And by definition of what a steward is, you can't be one unless you acknowledge that you're caring for or managing something that is not yours. A lot of us seek wealth. We seek um, our possessions. Those are our comfort. That's the first thing we go to so often. It's not even people. And um, but the, a biblical definition of wealth is the sum total of all that God has given us. And God can use, he can use you in every aspect. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed for the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If you jump in that same book over to verse 17... It says this, commend those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. They may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. They may lay hold of eternal life. It's an eternal perspective that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds at all times. God is calling us to give things away, not to hang on to them. This is the measure of stewardship today, of whether or not you can let go of things. In, your sin, we, you know, in our sin, we want to hang on to these things. These are things that give us the false securities. We find, the, we find great comfort in them. Um, you know, in the kingdom of God, there's no need for white-knuckle Christianity. You're just hanging on to things. And it's just that tight grip I joke with first service, I'm like, it's the same as me hanging out to this pulpit right now. You know, it's, 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 that, it's out of fear. You know, you know, white knuckle, I mean, it maybe belongs in my car, but it doesn't belong in our Christianity and our faith and in the kingdom of God. You know, we, we serve an intimate God, a God of relationships. He cares more that, you know, we would love one another and care for one another. And in our culture, we greet one another, usually with a handshake and a hug. And then... And then today, right now, I think a great many Christians are hanging on to things. They are clenched fists. You don't, you don't greet someone with a clenched fist. You've got to let go. It's just crazy things, um, what people will hold on to for comfort. You ever seen the show Hoarders? <laughs> oh, that show kills me. I can't watch it for more than 15 minutes without wanting to just get sick. And, um, you know, it's crazy what people will do and... Um, some of them out of sickness, but the reality is, is that this is, these are things that comfort them. You know, they don't want to let go of their possessions. If you watch the show, they usually got a family member or somebody there trying to convince them to let go, to throw the stuff away. And it's, it's some of the stuff they collect is crazy. 
And so, yeah, we may not collect, you know, toilet paper rolls in our house, but, but we're hanging on to things that we don't need. And God wants you to let go of them. He wants you to give out of grace. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5 says this, But this, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountiful will also reap bountiful. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. You know, if you're not willing to give it away, God will change your circumstances. He will make you think about it. He will potentially strip you of those things and hold back the blessings that you may focus on him. And um, I know I saw this in my own life. And uh, this is what he says in verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says, You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. You know, I also like what it says at the end of verse 11. Verse 11, it says, For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains on the grain and the new wine and the new oil and, and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. So we like to think that God has the ability to withhold you know, our nature. You know, he'll bring the heat, he'll withhold the rain, withhold the dew. But those things that I created with my hands, my job, my career, you know, my family, those things that were most intimately connected to us, that we have something you know, something to do with it. That, you know, we, we have the power and that control of it. And uh, Ecclesiastes 5.19 says this, As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat and to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. And Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, and that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It's a great lie that the enemy would have us believe, you and I, that we can control things. We can control every aspect of our wealth and our possessions and all that we take on for ourselves, and that we earned it. We created it. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, For who makes you different from another? What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Let's look at um, the rest of the chapter. Let's pick up at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, and the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the priest of all, and the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So they finally build the temple. They start to get to work. Um, we see this in the book of Ezra. Um, there's a couple reasons why. They feared the presence of the Lord. They knew God was with them. He says it. This is when the action takes place. 
He says, I am with you. Every time in scripture and all through the Bible, when God is trying to exhort you not to be afraid, there's a couple things that happen. One, we have to acknowledge that we are afraid and we are in fear. The second is that he, he makes a promise. He says, I'm with you. I am with you. Where else do you see I am with you in the scriptures? I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. I think some of us need to turn, let's turn there. Matthew chapter 28. I think we need to read it this morning. We're talking about the Great Commission. I'm going to pick up at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. And then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountains which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That doesn't scream eternal perspective. I don't know what does. Sometimes we need to be stirred up and kicked in the pants, and he does this. He says, so, so the Lord stirred up the spirits. He stirred up his people. God would have no greater joy than for us to lead people to salvation, to lead people to him, to point people to his glory, to believe that his son died for us. And yet the way we live our lives a lot of times and why we fill it with so many other things that it's a misguided. We lead people astray by the way we care about our possessions more than we care about them. We fill our lives with such small things that the message gets sent back to those that we dearest to us, the ones closest to us, that we care about those things more than we care about them. So that was my fear on November 7th. What message did I send to my family? It's not where my heart was, but that was the message I sent. So if we don't fill our time with priorities, with God's desires, the world will fill our voids and chasms that we create. The world is tempting us not to give anything away. We want to hold everything on. We want, we're not going to take the easy, the easy ways to hang on to everything that's right there in front of us. But with the correct eternal perspective, we can determine what the big important things are. And I think this is a word for some of you here today. And it's just this, as simple as this. Your job's too small. And I'll explain. Robert Jaffrey was a missionary to China. And um, he, uh, he was a wealthy heir to the Toronto Globe newspaper. And his family wanted him to be exactly that, the heir to take over and to, and to run that business but he wanted nothing to do with it. He'd rather be about the Lord and his business. And because of his family and the politics and being well-known and, um, and the fact that he was, um, had studied the Chinese language and been translating Bibles over in China, Standard Oil of New York, they um, wanted him to forego his mission, missionary work and to work for them. They'd made him a great offer. But he, re he refused, so they doubled his salary. 
he refused again, so they, they sent a cable message to him, and they, they said, Robert Jaffrey, at any cost. At any cost. So he cables back, and he says, your salary is big, but your job is too small. I wonder what our lives would be like if we had the same perspective that this missionary had. Because he served God in big ways. He actually, he actually passed away, and he was imprisoned by the Japanese and passed away out of starvation and malnutrition. But he said this, The supreme crying need of this lost world is the gospel. Shall we not rise at Christ's command to carry the blessed saving news to every perishing one? Don't ever let yourself get distracted into doing a job that's too small. God has the ability to use you in big ways. I wonder if today if you're holding yourself back. The temptation is to, to go with what the world offers you. When I resigned from my job six years ago, I had a lot of offers right afterwards. And I, um, you know, some of them were really good. And, you know, the temptation in my flesh might have been to take some of them, but I tasted the Lord and I knew he was good and nothing else tasted better. I couldn't go back. And, you know, even now as I look at the spot that the Lord has Autumn and I in now, and the reason I stand up here today is that because of this book, I had to consider my ways. And as I was trying to debate recently if it was God calling me back to go into the corporate role, to go back to the business, thinking that God had used this church, he had used you guys, he had used Ted and Brenda to restore me and to, and to just show me what God was all about again, love. You know, was it time for me to go back and to get in a career and starting a new business? And, and as I prayed through it, um, God shut those doors quickly. But I remember one day sitting in my office and I started just kind of, toying with the idea, so I got online and started looking at old industry websites, trying to see what everybody was up to, and, and I instantly got sick to my stomach. And I remember hearing Autumn come down the hallway, and I'm like, I can't let her see what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, I, I know, I felt like a guy that just got caught watching porn. <laughs> I couldn't get off that website quick enough, and I just, I just was totally guilt-ridden. Because once you experience God's blessings, there's no turning back. And the blessings have been withheld from the people of Haggai. And I wonder if some of you today aren't struggling and God's holding back from you. 1 John 2, 15 through 16 says this, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Romans 13, 8, I love this. says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he loves Another has fulfilled the law. Are we fulfilling the law? You will know my disciples by the love they have for one another. This is what the Lord said. What's your reputation today? Are you holding back? Are you so busy and preoccupied with other things that you fail to see the people right in front of you? Do you know the condition of your own house? Haggai pointed it out to to his people, and I wonder if you've even looked at your own house and the condition. We're going to be tight on time, but I do want to touch on it. So will you flip over to chapter 2, and I'm going to read starting at verse 5. 
according to the world that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Again, he's telling them, do not fear. Why? Because my spirit remains among you. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations. They shall come to the desire of all nations. I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 8 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. He's just reminding him one more time that it belongs to him. I like what it says at the end of verse 9. And in this place I will find peace. There's no greater peace than to be in the presence of God. To be about his people. To provide a place where his people can gather. Why did they fear? Because they worried that the temple would not be restored to its former glory. You're scared today because you're afraid. If you release, you let go. If you surrender to God, those things that you hang on to, that he will not restore you to the former glory that you once believed you had. I had those thoughts when I left my job. I thought, I'll never have a job like this again. Can God really care for my family the way it's been going for the last 10 plus 15 years I poured into that business? I can tell you that God has met every one of our financial needs, every one of my spiritual needs, and blessed my family beyond measure. That doesn't even compare. And this is the spot that we find ourselves often is comparing. You know, they compared themselves to Solomon's temple, which was amazing. The scriptures tell us it was unbelievable. So they worried what they would build up would not compare. You know, I had this the same thought, and it, would, it paralyzed me when I, after I resigned my job. I waited for a while, didn't know what to do, and a friend of mine was in real estate, and you know, he started pointing me in different directions and giving me advice and counsel. And, and so Autumn and I, we took some of our money, and we decided to invest in some real estate. And, and so the very first house we bought, I thought, oh, I'll never buy a house with someone living in it. And so the very first house I buy, I go there like the morning of, and I look in the windows, it looks empty. And I go to the auctions, and I buy this house. And I go up to show up there that day to change the locks, and there's a lady out front having a garage sale. And I, I can't believe what I just did. And so I leave there, just panicked. And I think, man, Lord, I just forced this thing. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doubting everything now. Why would God have me resign from my job? Why would he, why would he take these things away from me? You know, and and so I, that I'm supposed to drive back the next day to meet with the husband now. And I'm like, you know, I'm really looking forward to this. By the way, dude, I bought your house. You got to get out. And so this is going to be a fun conversation. And so I'm driving over there, and I I'm driving down Winchester Road, and I I get about halfway, and I'm just I'm crying. I call my buddy Paul up, and I'm like, dude, I I don't know what to do. And he's like, oh, don't worry, you're going to make money. Everything will be fine. I'm like, I don't need to make money. I need to make a lot of money. You know, I'm panicked. And I'm just freaking out. And so I, I just pull over and I pray. I just start calling out to God. And I remember God telling me, I'm with you. 
So I showed up at that house, and uh, the husband was there, and it was nothing like I expected. The husband was this huge guy. I was terrified. Every time he talked to me, he got closer to my face. So I was like, you know, people get in your space, and I keep backing up. He keeps getting closer, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so, but it's not long into the conversation. He starts spilling everything, telling me everything. And he's like, your wife, my wife says you're a pastor. I said, I'm not a pastor. Don't call me names. I'm scared of this guy. <laughs> and so, and so before I know it, this guy's just spilling everything to me. And next thing I know, we're praying together. It was nothing like, and God just showed me right then that he can use me wherever. And I think he, some of you need to hear that today. That you think, you think you have, you have it all figured out on how God's going to use you and when and, you, and in your timing. But that, that guy, Michael, it wasn't his wife. It was his girlfriend that he had gotten impregnated. He bought that house to hide her in. And so I prayed with him. He accepted the Lord. He was, uh, he was moving out. He didn't give me any trouble. Moved out almost right away. It was weird. And, um, but he, he went and he went. They got married. Started straightening out his life. And you don't know when you're so self-absorbed with the opportunities and the blessings that we rob from the eternal glory of God. We need to remember today that God is with us. So in closing, we have to consider our ways. And as a pastor, I have to consider what this means for me. I have to consider what this means for you guys as I pray through this message. And I have to consider what this means for Reliance Church as a whole. And for me, it means I acknowledge I'm called to be a pastor, to come alongside Pastor Ted, to shepherd this church, and to protect this church at any cost. For me my, and my family, that means, you know, we might be selling our house. We might be downsizing. We're already downsizing things. But um, these are all small things for a big job. And there's no greater blessing than it is to, to be here with you guys. That's how my wife and I feel. We just love this church. We love what God's done. We, we believe in the eternal kingdom. What does this mean for you guys? I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that completely, but I do believe that God has called us this morning to consider your ways. And for some of you, it means you need to be on the next Philippines trip. You know, next trip to Panama. You need to serve in Awanas during the week. You need to be serving up in children's ministry right now. Mops. You need to be, you know, a light in your workplace. Are you influencing your workplace or are they influencing you? But I do, the only thing I do know for sure is that you need to lead people and point them to God's glory. Or maybe today you're here and you don't even understand this concept of priorities and God's grace and his mercy and his authority. As you consider your ways, you realize you have nothing to compare to. The only comparison you have is other people. All other priorities are contingent on this. And today I'll give you an opportunity to put God as Lord of your life. And as I was not planning on this today, but as I consider Reliance Church as a whole, I think there's a lot of ways that we relate to the book of Haggai. God has used this church mightily. He adds to it daily. And he's grown this church. I think of the testimonies we've heard recently. I think of the work that he's been doing in all these ministries as they grow, and we've outgrown this build, these buildings. We're okay here on Sunday here at Linfield, and I'm so thankful for 
relationship we have with Linfield. But our midweek services, our buildings on Papa Road, they just don't cut it. We just added new walls just for the office so we can actually hear on the phone. I mean, it's just crazy. And the chaos, the women's ministry has just taken over over there. And the midweek and mops, and it's just expanding to the point where there's no, there's no room for parking. I mean, there's no room for anything. And um, God is adding to this church, and I, I'm, I'm not asking you guys for money today, so relax. But I, I'm, but I, I do want to make you aware that there comes a time when we've got to decide as a church and consider our ways that God continues to grow this church. We're going to need other provisions. We're going to need another building. And some of those provisions clearly come from you guys. You know, he's doing a mighty work here at Reliance. And, um, you know, I think, of the, I think of the testimonies that come out of this church. I think of me standing here and what it took to get me here. And um, I want to be a part of that. And my fear when our current circumstances is that soon we'll be turning away people. Midweek right now um, at our Pablo location, we almost turned away, um, we actually almost turned away a lady that was battling cancer right now from dropping her kids off at Awanas. Thank God that didn't happen. But that's the point where we have, we're at at this church at some point, we will make tougher and tougher decisions as as your pastors. And I want today to ask you guys to trust your pastors. Malachi says this, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings, there will not be room enough to receive it. It's one of the few places in the Bible where God tells you to test them. I know that you guys are sacrificially give to this church and and in every aspect, I, 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 don't, I can't think of a way that I would ever be any prouder of any church. And I think of the foundation that's already poured. I think we are a lot like in the book of Haggai. The foundation is there. And the foundation is you guys. God has built a foundation of some strong believers and those that understand what it is like to serve. And they serve faithfully here in our children's ministry, teaching, in our youth ministry, setting up here Sunday, turning this gymnasium into a sanctuary. A lot of work goes into this. And I believe that is the foundation. He has knit hearts together and built relationships and that we would fall and love one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another. I can't even tell you the encouragement I've gotten just, just preparing for this message even. The amount of texts I got yesterday, I almost had to turn my phone off. I was just distracting. And, but it was so awesome. And it's, this is what this church is about. And so my fear is that we won't have that opportunity to be that for some people. They'll come here and feel like there's not room for them. But I believe all things are possible with God. I believe he's the one who asked this church. And I also believe that he supplies. So I'm not asking for money. I'm just making you aware of our circumstances. For, we don't have a building fund here at this church. We don't pass a plate. There's tithe boxes in the back for your convenience. Probably never will pass a plate at this church. And as I wanted to exhort you to this morning that if you want to give to a building or future plan, you can do that. You can mark it on your checks. We don't have a building fund. Maybe we'll start one. But I would ask that those go above and beyond your normal tithe. For some of you, the exhortation is simply this, start tithing. Are you willing to bet on the kingdom of God and the fruits that we see from it, the eternal kingdom? There's no surer bet than eternity. 
I'd hate to think that we turn away anyone. And again, this isn't about money. But God, I believe, has, has a message, particularly in this area, for someone here, for us.